0: November 15th, 1896. My dear Harry, what a mixture of sentiments your last letter brought. I have been trying to compose a response that Lily would approve of. I have come to the conclusion that that is what you desire above all else, and so I will try not to fail you, or her, or Esme. Try, mind you. I promise nothing. Mr Crane continues to accuse our Esme of thieving. It is a weighty word, Harry, It conjures an image of Esme sneaking around with a sack slung over her back, filling it with candlesticks and teapots. However, from what I can glean, her pockets contained nothing more than slips that others had been careless with. As to your parenting being unconventional, well, I suppose that it is. But where Mr Crane meant it as a rebuke, I mean it as a compliment. Convention has never done any woman any good So, enough self-recrimination, Harry.
1: Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading Magazine is a monthly publication dedicated to books and reading, and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au Today, I'm talking with Pip Williams about her new book, The Dictionary of Lost Words. Pip, welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast.
0: Oh, it's lovely to be here, Greg.
1: The Dictionary of Lost Words, it's an intriguing title and a very original idea. Where did it all begin for you?
0: Well, it really began when a friend lent me her copy of uh, Simon Winchester's The Surgeon of Crowthorne. It's a picky little um, non-fiction book all about one of the people who sent quotations in for the first Oxford English Dictionary. So it's mostly about the relationship between um, the main editor of the Oxford English Dictionary, James Murray, and this one volunteer who happened to be a madman living in Broadmoor Prison. So it was quite an interesting story. I really enjoyed it. But by the time I finished it, I had a bit of an understanding of how the Oxford English Dictionary, the most important dictionary in the English language, how it was compiled. And I realised that it was a very male endeavour. So all of the editors were male, all of the lexicographers were male, Most of the assistants were male. Most of the people sending in examples of how words were used, these were volunteers, most of them were male, though there were a lot of females as well. But most of all, the literature that was referred to to come up with definitions of the words that we use was mostly written by men so we're talking pre-20th century literature that was the basis of the dictionary's reference material Um, and so I realized that the dictionary had to be a gendered text it had to be biased towards male experience so I started doing a little bit of research just out of interest to be absolutely honest not because I had any idea of writing a book and I kept coming across one story in particular and and that story was that one single word was lost from the dictionary. Now, the dictionary is gigantic. That first edition took 70 years to compile and in 12 huge, heavy volumes of words. So it's really very big. And apparently only one word was lost from the entire endeavour. And that word was bondmaid. And bondmaid means slave girl. And this little story just piqued my interest because no one knows how it was lost. And that is just a wonderful thing for a fiction writer um, because I can make it up. And so that's what I did. I put these two things that were of interest to me together and I threw a young girl into the scriptorium where all the words are being compiled for the Oxford English Dictionary. And I tried to work out how she would influence the words and how the words would influence her.
1: A really interesting part of the book is the idea that the meaning of words and the way we understand that meaning is dependent on things like gender, age, class as well. With this in mind, do you think words can ever be neutral?
0: Well, I think words are neutral until we use them. And, and that is the, the point that I suppose I'm trying to make in the dictionary. Um, it depends who you're listening to when um, you're listening to a word so you could listen to two different people using exactly the same word but they'll use it differently and the meaning that they ascribe to a word might be slightly different and based on their experience their gender their age the things that they value and i suppose this is what intrigued me the most about the oxford english dictionary in my mind there couldn't be a better dictionary But even so, that very first dictionary was still put together by a group of people who shared a class, they shared a gender, they had a shared experience. And they were different to many, many of the people who use the English language. And that includes women. So very few women were involved in the uh, development of the Oxford English Dictionary. And I was curious to know... What words had not been written down and therefore been forgotten? So because the dictionary is based on a textual history of words, so words have to have been written down to end up in the dictionary. But a lot of words aren't written down because the people who write words down are simply not in the context or the situations that the words are being used. So I'm thinking about the birthing room or the laundry or the kitchen. And again, we're talking sort of pre-20th century, where often, you know, where, where a lot of people were not literate. And so the people who were writing books or journals or or even newspaper articles were not necessarily in these places and writing the words that they were hearing. And so I, I believe that many words have actually literally been lost from the dictionary and, and therefore from our language, because they were never written down. A couple of words struck
1: me early on in the book uh, that I guess, make the point, and one of them you've already mentioned, bondmaid, and the way people think of what a bondmaid might be. And the other one that Essie comes across very early is the word service and the way, the way we apply that or understand that in real-life terms. And I think her father had to explain to her what the difference was between her understanding and, I think, the understanding of the maidservant Lizzie.
0: As I started to do the research, and I was very fortunate to have access to the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary through the State Library of South Australia. And so I, I had this beautiful experience of turning the pages of these hundred-year-old volumes, leather-bound volumes, and and you know running my finger down all of these definitions and reading the history of these words, because that's what the Oxford English Dictionary is. It's a history book. I was basically coming across words and finding out about their history, about the life of these words, and realising suddenly that the words I use every day that I take for granted actually have a life of their own. And I, I have never really understood the life of the words that i use and in the book i guess i uh, i take a few words and i treat them like characters in a way some of there are a few words in the book that have a character arc (laughs) just like esme does just like lizzie does they have a beginning a middle and an end and they change throughout the book and i suppose i'm trying to demonstrate in a way how versatile words are how organic they are and and how um, affected by their environments they are by the people who speak them so the word service um, was an interesting word because esme as a young girl is being looked after by the maid servant in the big house that's attached to the scriptorium that belongs to the editor and lizzie is her best friend and and one of her main um the main adults in her life but Esme wants to know what the difference between service is for her and for Lizzie, and the explanation is that, um, you know, she she will never be in service. It's not a word that will be important to her because she's a different class. And this is confusing for a little girl who identifies very strongly with, with this servant, with this maid maid. Um, in the big house so um, it's just an example of how our different contexts, our different backgrounds can shape words differently and give words different meanings. For Lizzie being a servant is a privilege whereas for Esme it would be anything but a privilege.
1: The Dictionary of Lost Words is not just about words it's also a story about the suffragettes and the story actually winds a path through the history of the suffrage movement. What was the connection for you between words and the suffrage movement?
0: Actually, it was really interesting. I Initially, I just wanted to write a book about the dictionary. But once I started to do the research, I realised that the development of the dictionary happened parallel to the suffrage movement in the UK. So in Australia, we actually, every woman in, in the country had the vote by federation. But women in South Australia had the vote back in the 1890s. And so England's experience was very different. And I I was fascinated to really think about, well, well, how do these two things track? How do they relate to each other? Very interestingly, this is just an aside, but the dictionary was completed in April 1928 and women in the UK got full suffrage two months later. So they really do track side by side through the entire story. So I couldn't ignore that. I couldn't ignore the suffrage movement. You use the term suffragette, but that actually is a relatively modern word. So the word that was used before suffragette came along, the word that was used to describe women who were fighting for the vote was suffragist. And in fact, during that whole suffrage movement, suffragists, were very differentiated from suffragettes (laughs) because suffragettes were militant. So suffragettes were willing to cause harm to property and people. And many of the suffragists did not agree with this and they wanted to differentiate themselves. But suffragette, the word, was actually coined by men who were trying to put these women down. They were trying to put them in their place. And putting et on the end of suffrage is like putting et on the end of kitchen. Kitchenette is a smaller, more inferior version of a kitchen. (laughs) And so suffragette is a diminutive term. It's it's essentially saying that these are little girls acting up. The word itself was originally an insult, but we know it differently to that. And we know it differently because uh, the women for whom it applied decided to own that word. They appropriated it and they called their journal The Suffragette. <laughs> and from then on, the word took on a certain power um, that women still use today.
1: The main character, Esme, Esme Nickel, starts life in the book as a very young girl, as we've alluded to. And Esme is a, what you might call a hoarder of words. And I love the way you describe the way she finds words, words that slip from satchels and rescued from the evening wind and morning dew. Are you yourself a hoarder of words?
0: There's a bit of irony here. So I, I have always had trouble with words, actually. I'm dyslexic and I often confuse words. So words that sound the same, I just use interchangeably <laughs> to some extent. So I have to always be very careful with um, how I use words because they don't necessarily come naturally. Uh, and I can confuse them, and I've never been able to spell them properly, and and so on. And yet they are the they are the mode of communication that I've chosen in my life ever since I was small. So um, some people choose painting or drawing or music to express themselves. I've always used words, despite the fact that they've been problematic for me. Um, so perhaps it's because. They have been a challenge that I've paid more attention to them. As I said, the reason I was interested in this story wasn't wasn't initially because of the words, I suppose, but I became fascinated by the words as I went along. Um, and as soon as I realised that in fact words have a life trajectory, that is what propelled me through the story because. It, all of a sudden I realised just about every word every word I came across seemed to have um, a background story uh, and sometimes that was really fascinating and some of those I've worked into the book because uh, those background stories tell us a little bit about ourselves as well and that's that's what's important about this book is how words explain the world that we live in and the experience that we have.
1: And in many ways, that's what happens to Esme, the main character. She grows up through finding words, hoarding words, but also coming to understand what they mean. What was the basis for that character?
0: She is completely fictional. She's grown up in an unusual circumstance. So her father is a widower and she has grown up essentially within the scriptorium where her father works as a lexicographer. So her father works for James Murray, the editor of the Oxford English Dictionary. He is also, James Murray is real, but her father is fictional as well. So Esme and her father are fictional. But in order to put a woman amongst the words of the Oxford English Dictionary, I needed her to be literally within, within the building that those words are being collected. And so Esme spends much of her early childhood under the sorting table where all the words are being collected. And this is how she comes across the words which are written on little slips of paper. You know, they fall off the table and they land in her lap sometimes. And other times they're just in nooks and crannies around the scriptorium. She's learnt to be quiet. Um, She's learnt to stay out of the way. And she's become an incredible observer of the life around her. She's the sort of child who has, by necessity, had to sort of lead an introverted life um, and had to find her way herself. And this is how she starts collecting words and why words are important to her. As she grows older, and because perhaps at that time, this is we're talking late 19th century, early 20th century, her father is, is much like her. He's very concentrated on the words. He's an introvert. He's a kind, kind man. But he's perhaps not fully equipped to raise a daughter all by himself. <laughs> and so as she grows older, she relies on the, on the pigeonholes full of words and the volumes as they start being published to explain her life to herself As she goes through puberty, she looks up words that might explain what's happening to her. And she often finds that the dictionary falls short, that the words that she looks for aren't there or the definitions that she finds just don't quite fit with her experience. And so she realises that perhaps something is missing. And as she gets older, she starts looking for those things that are missing in the dictionary And she starts developing a dictionary of her own, a dictionary of women's words.
1: it has been a wonderful experience reading the book and a great experience talking to you, Pip. Thanks very much for joining me.
0: Oh, it's been a great pleasure, Greg.
1: You've been listening to Pip Williams talk about her new book, The Dictionary of Lost Words. It's published by Affirm Press and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookstores. My name is Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening.